welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. I'm Kirsten White. I'm Anthony Oliveira. And I'm Matthew Rodriguez. And we today we will be discussing Season 7, Episode 5, Selfless. Yay. Hi, Hi. Matthew. Hi. <laughs> She's back. <laughs> I'm back. I haven't been here since Joyce died. I hope nothing I hope nothing sad oh happens. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest thing in this world oh, is to dear. podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think towards the end of season six, uh, Anthony, Anthony Jerson, like just heard me say the same things over and over again. I kept being like, well, I have nothing new to say. Um, mm-hmm. But we made it and here we are. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you all, I like, this is one of the episodes that I very much remember watching live. Like I can remember my reactions to it because I always loved Anya. So I remember being like super excited that it was an Anya episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of this, I remember like the gasping and, you know, the drama that was baby gay Ian watching this live. Mm. But I think this is a really stellar episode. I wanted to assemble our little Avengers and, uh, and Matthew, you said this is one of your favorite episodes, right? Yeah, whenever I write my top 10 Buffy episodes, this always gets into it. And it's funny now, I was just saying to people before we record this podcast that I've been watching it with my roommate and seeing kind of the epi- the structure of season seven and how early this comes in and how it really is like the writers needing to wrap up the Anya stuff before the first really, yeah. really <laughs> shows up um, is really interesting. Because it's also, I think... I think it's very rare, especially in the Buffy world, to like say like episode five of any season is your favorite episode because they yeah. are always kind of revving up at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just such a stellar hour of television. Yeah, I actually have in my notes at one point, like everything seems to move. Like I feel like I could have watched like a two part episode of this of like more of Anya's back like backstory and more of like. You know, because once we get to the living room scene, I was like, oh, shit, the episode's kind of almost over, but I feel like it flew by. Like, I felt like I could have paused on a bunch of these scenes and gotten more. I like that it's a tight little puzzle box of an episode. Like, it really is just like a nice one and done character study. The stakes are incredibly low. Like, in in many ways, like, the monster is dead very early on. And in fact, it is a joke Mm -hmm. how quickly the monster is killed, which I always admire as, like, a choice. Um but it's just a tidy little Mm -hmm. like sketch of Anya as a character. And like, it really does tie up the character for it's the sort of the last push of her story arc, which is basically of her death really. Like it sort of establishes she's her own person separate from Xander, which is what her arc is going to be for the rest of the season. Um, It's also like, it's such an injection of like fresh blood too. like Drew Goddard really, it's his first episode. He really like, bursts onto the scene with this script a lot of the themes of his career are here very early on um and like also like it just sort of summarizes her in such a perfect way like it's a really it's a very fan servicey mm-hmm. in like the best of ways yeah. i think yes. like yeah. it remembers all these details like oh remember that fight from four seasons ago remember this trinket that summons the hoffron like it really shows off and pays off a lot for fans which i really liked yeah and it's so well structured too it is, yeah. Yeah, just like the, like, incredibly formalistically, right? Like, every scene yeah, has its yeah. own little thing. Like, it's like a and, like, biopsy of her character. Scenes. 
Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like I was so impressed with the cutscenes in this one. Like nothing was lazy. Like everything. I, yeah, there were so many like really clever, really jarring cutscenes. Like it was just so well structured. It was so well done. And and of course, Emma Caulfield is just knocks it out of the park. She's so it, good. It feels yeah. like a TV version of a biopic. You know, like because yeah. yeah. those cutscenes are so they feel very biopic like to me. And when you're writing mm-hmm. that, and when you're watching one you have to choose really well what moments in life you go back to for a character, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like those three, well, really we saw four moments, but let's call, let's call the the troll moment one moment, even though it's cut into two scenes. But like, so I feel like that is a good moment. And then the Russia moment, and um, obviously the best one, once more feeling moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are just three really good moments for the character to return to. And like yeah. the formal play of it too, right? Like it's not just a flashback to her in whatever weird Scandinavian pastiche we're in, but like formally it's playing the game of like the old found footage that's like all scratched yes. up and like yeah. badly translated. And then obviously like not just a flashback to just like her happy with Xander, but specifically a moment of musical, right? Like it's not, right. the scenes themselves are fun as little pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I was curious, I wasn't sure if actually one of the three of you has said this on the podcast before, but people have said they wish this was like, they had just killed Ani at the end of this episode, and that was like her end, but I don't think I would have liked that as the end. I think I like it as like, a we're ending her character, but we're, she's still like, we're ending her story, but she's still there. I don't know, I, I would be curious, I didn't know if one of you had said that before, I knew someone who was a regular had, what you all thought of that, like a lot of people have said they wish that they just killed Ani at the end of this episode. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. yeah, first of all, I don't think I would never accuse anyone on this podcast of saying less on that. <laughs> but, um, I think that's like, I think that's like short season HBO brain talk people talking because like, mm-hmm. this was basic cable 22 episodes, the actors <laughs> stuck around. She like, has a contract. <laughs> yeah, she has a contract. Yeah. She's not getting yeah. killed off. No. In the credits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, I feel like I'm actually still mad at the ending of season seven because Anya fought for her humanity harder than anyone on this show, right? She starts out as a demon and she becomes the most human of all of them. And, and I like that, you know, I would have hated for her to die in this episode because this episode pushes her to the bottom, right? It strips her of everything that she's wrapped around herself to try and give herself identity. And I like that she spends the rest of the season just kind of figuring it out. Like she's not a major player. She's not, she doesn't have another big like revelation episode, whatever. She's just trying to build back the pieces of herself independent of men and career and i love that i think it would have been a huge disservice to kill her in this episode and like incredibly bleak to say like yes, yes. you've always defined yourself by other people and now you're dead like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like we have telegraphed right to the end of the episode but yeah <laughs> um but to me like really one of the things i have said on this show is that i do like that anya dies Um, I don't like the way she dies, but I do like that her story is about learning to be human. And within Buffy and Angel, one of the ways you learn to be human is learning how to die, right? Like being, knowing that it has an end, Mm -hmm. like the Shanshu idea from Angel, you live until you die. And I like the idea that she um, doesn't make it. But to me, the most important shot of this episode is Xander, at the very end, Xander goes one way and she goes another way by herself. And that to me 
means mm-hmm. a lot. Like this episode is about how she has always just clung to whatever comes by. Um, as Don tells us right at the beginning, the first line of the episode gives us the thesis, right? Just do what everyone else does. Yeah. And at the end, yeah. she has to decide <laughs> to do something else, right? And that to me makes it cool. What I regret about season seven is what I regret about a lot of season seven, which is there isn't actually much life left to live, right? Like I would have loved to see like yeah. Anya trying to date, you know, Anya trying right. to get yeah. a job that isn't tangled with the Scoobies. And unfortunately, the nature of what happens to Sunnydale in the season is there's nothing that isn't the Scoobies anymore. Well, um, yeah. Right. And, and, yeah. And I think it's also just because Buffy, if you really look at it, like tends to follow this pattern, especially, well, I mean, past season three, where like they do a season of character building, which was season four, and then a season of plot, which was five. And then they do season of character building with six. And then seven is just plot. Like there's really no time for it. Yeah. By the time the first is there, mm-hmm. like everyone's storylines get shunted to the side just to defeat the yeah. first. But um, I think... I, I always agree when we when we have talked about this in the past, Anthony, that I think death is the is the way for Anya's story to end. It is the it makes the most sense for her because it's the most human thing you can do. But I do think that mm-hmm. Anya gets to the distinction. Not only is it the human thing to do, I you know, Joss has said several times, and everyone on our podcast has said several times, every relationship <laughs> on this episode has to end badly. But no, right. w- no one gets a no one gets a better story arc as a partner on this show than Anya. Mm. Like she is yeah. the partner that transcends mm-hmm. being the the relationship that just ends badly with a gunshot or something else. You know, right? When I one of my jobs, yeah. I remember uh, my editor. She had said that that was her issue with Buffy was that the um, partners never got good stories, and I was like, no, but Anya does. Like Anya gets a real. That was always mm-hmm. my like. Just, that was like her issue with Buffy was that she felt a lot of the girlfriends were just girlfriends. Um, and I think I, there's an argument to be made that Tara is more than that because she is, but I can understand, you know, Tara doesn't get a lot to do other than be Willow's girlfriend. Um, but Anya, I feel like Anya, there's so much nuance and development too, like over the seasons mm-hmm. of her character. Um, and I mean, and she gets, you know, one of the best episodes of season seven. Which is what's audacious mm-hmm. about this episode too, right? Is like, she's one of the coolest, most complicated characters. And the thesis of this episode is actually she's not anything, right? Like the, mm-hmm. she's cool and complicated because she can't figure out how to define herself. Um, yeah. Which is what I really like about, again, like we talked about the formalist elements, but like every scene is about like, look, she's she'll just do what this guy says. She'll just do yeah. what she's supposed to do here. She'll define herself by her aggressive, tanky communism, right? Like, right. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, I'm no longer the co-host of this podcast, but I do want to take what you were saying and and bring it a little bit into the beginning of the one of the things that happens early in the episode and say that like her wanting to find herself and 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 feel like she's really a part of something is the is what drives her going overboard and do and and doing a vengeance that is too heavy for her right because i think right. that's a really common impulse like she's mm-hmm. peer pressured into murder yeah, <laughs> it's like you know if you're in college yeah. and you want to hang out with people and they do shit like you do it you 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 are tofu and you soak up whatever flavor they are <laughs> and you mm-hmm. try to do what they do but only to but to the nth degree and so she's like okay like vengeance is my vengeance family says that I'm not being hardcore enough. So I need to do something that's even uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It, it tests and probably uh, you know, Oh God, what is the word I'm looking for? 
it, it, go, it goes past her boundaries, her own boundaries. Like yeah. she has set boundaries in her mind and mm-hmm. it kind of flies in the face of her own boundaries. You know, it's speaking of the, like, and then you mentioned how the thesis is right there in the beginning. And it's wild to me that this was the first time I realized that Buffy's, like the Buffy's kind of thesis in the episode is also right there in the beginning. She's very, when Xander is like, oh no, Anya's not really doing vengeance anymore. Uh, Buffy's like immediately very cold about it and is like, well, I hope you're right. And it feels very like, yeah. like, oh, that yeah. makes sense that at the end when she's like, I'm the law, gotta kill her. Like she's very cut and dry with mm-hmm. Anya. Yeah. This episode doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really like Buffy. I mean, it, it is season seven, no, Buffy, right? Like it is, it is Buffy yeah. at her hardest. And it is really watching, I was struck today by like how critical it is and how it sets her up in the most um, jaundiced of lights, right? Like it gives you that long scene. Really, the it is the really the perfect scene of a mm-hmm. Spike and Buffy reconciliation, right? Like yeah. here is how you could have landed that plane, and it just wrenches it away. Mm-hmm. And has her walk in and be as cold as possible. She like literally quotes Judge Dredd later with the "I am the law" thing, right? Like she is not. <laughs> it knows what it's doing to her. Um, so it's a choice that that's what she is this season, but it is it is a difficult one to make for your protagonist. Yeah, and I and I do think there's something to be mm-hmm. said about the fact that it is from Anya's point of like the episode is Anya's episode, and none of them have ever really been that kind to Anya, right? Like I think of mm-hmm. Tristan, I can't remember if it was you or Anthony. One of you co-hosted the episode where they like at the end of season six, when they go to the magic box. And like Anya is clearly like beaten up or whatever. She was like, that spell was put on her to freeze her. And Buffy's immediately just like, well, are you going to help or what? There's no like, oh, this is our friend and she was hurt by Willow. They're just immediately like, well, are you going to help us or not? Because you're a vengeance demon. And that's kind of how they, I feel like Buffy kind of has always viewed Anya as more of like an annoyance. I feel like weirdly same time, same place was a better closure of Willow and Anya are kind of friends now. Mm-hmm. More and like it made them better friends than Buffy and Anya ever were. Well, she really is the antagonist yeah. of this episode, right? Like yeah. she really is. She's yeah. the Javert, right? Like she is the law who has come to say there is no room for Gray. Um, right. Like when she, when the camera turns to find her in the the frat house at the end, like she really is the bad guy, right? Like she's yeah. come to kill the episode's mm-hmm. her- hero, right? Yeah. I mean, SMG, yeah. she commits to that, yeah, because she has, like, she, there's no snark. There, she just has a blank, a, like, she has a look on her face that's, like, not normal Buffy fighting a demon, you know, having a battle with, like, quips and stuff. And it never finds a way mm-hmm. to reconcile them by the end of the episode, right? Like, yeah, they right. part yeah. on bad terms. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whereas well, this episode, I feel like, does a lot of rehabilitation for Xander, because Xander yeah. finally is very clearly saying, I did wrong Everything that is wrong with our relationship was my fault because there, you know, there was a lot of time in season six where he was very angry toward Anya for mm-hmm. dumping him after he left her at the altar. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I, I love it when he says he's getting a sad vibe versus a vengeance vibe. Um, he he finally like well and truly knows he's in the wrong and he's hurt Anya and that's on him. And it also does a lot of rehabilitation for Willow as well. Like like we saw in Same Time, Same Place, Willow finally yeah. connects with Anya because she always felt competitive with Anya. She never liked Anya. And in this episode, we really see because of what Willow's been through, she's finally able to be like, okay, no, this was awful, but I cannot commit right. to or condone an action that says this is unforgivable because if we say this is unforgivable, how have you forgiven me? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and that was going to be, that was the point I was going to make, which I feel like we have never said, none of us have ever said on this podcast, was Xander is right throughout this episode. Yeah. yeah. In this episode, Xander's <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> he is it's absolutely a nice, It's a nice new suit for him to wear for one. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, that was what I noticed when him and Buffy are talking. I was like, holy shit, Xander's right. And I know he's going to be right again when they have that talk. And like, that's wild mm-hmm. that I'm thinking I'm siding with Xander over Buffy for like the first time in the whole, the only time in the whole series. Like, um, it does the excellent, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a strange car to have held this long, but it finally pays yeah. off the, the angel yeah. thing. Yeah. Especially to have it. Buffy. And it, and it paves over <laughs> it, it right? Yeah. <laughs> The pleasure of that, but like, (laughs) I love the way it's like, oh, you want to yell at me about being black and white? Remember when you did this to me? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, that's the important part of that moment, even though Buffy doesn't realize that's what she's pointed out, right? Because then it lets, it has the blip of it and then swallows it back up. Yes. Before we, before we get to the, because that scene, I will have a lot to say. Um, Yes, yes. Let's, let's, we'll try to go in order from here. We'll try. Um, (laughs) So we get our first flashback, which is um, Anya as Odd with Olaf. Mm-hmm. My One of my weird complaints here is we get a lot of, and I know that this is totally on purpose, is we learn that Anya's kind of always been like an outcast and always like not quite gotten, quote unquote, gotten it, right? But mm-hmm. like, why does she have so many bunnies? We don't like, we never reconcile. It's just like, look, there's bunnies here. <laughs> She was terrified of bunnies, but look, there are a lot of bunnies. Like I was like, mm, I would have liked a little bit of like it. I don't know something. Like it feels like there was like something missing from like the joke of there being a bajillion bunnies in their house, and the joke of like, oh, Anya's terrified of bunnies. Oh, well, they're terrified of her because they remind her of a time when she was human and when mm. she was the most vulnerable she's ever been and hurt the most she's ever been. And bunnies represent that. Yeah. Yeah. Like she wasn't even a capitalist. It's when she was a kind she socialist, right? <laughs> yes, right? Yes. That's and gender goodwill. Point of saying that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, I was gonna say, like, I love I love that they went all in. They did that goofy, like sort of sepia toned. They yeah. and this, I mean, these were funny. Like the wigs were terrible yeah. deliberately. I love the lines like she's like a ball you're like a Baltic <laughs> woman from a slightly more arid region. Like it was <laughs> funny and yeah. I think that's something that Buffy always does so well is you have these episodes that are such gut punches and they're so emotional but they're also just so funny yeah one thing <laughs> I like about this scene is that each of the each of the flashbacks honestly is really in a different it is, a, is in a different film genre when you really think about mm-hmm. it um so the, yeah. this one being uh almost like you know very proto film uh, they show the you know the the grains on the film mm. and everything. And that's nothing they've ever done in a in an episode before for a flashback. And I like it here because I think it also underscores how much older than everyone, including Spike and Angel, that Anya really is. Um, yeah. Like Anya, like when we're talking mm-hmm. about Anya, we're talking about someone who's, you know, who has lived so much more life than Angel and Spike and yet doesn't have the jaded, that jaded broodingness that they have just because they lived a hundred years. Like, hello, she's 900, 1200, you know, like <laughs> it's, 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 it, but I, I love that choice for that. And then each, each one I'll mm-hmm. kind of, t- you know, as we get to it, we'll talk about the different film techniques that it does, but I, I think it really works well for Anya's flashback here. And I, and I do like the bunnies and I also, um, 
yeah, so actually that's my last note. I do like the bunnies. <laughs> I agree with with Kirsten about like the subconscious <laughs> reminders of humanity, the subconscious <laughs> reminders of the dregs of humanity that are haunting her at night. So my little, I, in the DVD commentary, um, Drew Goddard said that the scenes were written in Swedish, but he intended, because they were going for that like silly old film vibe, he intended for the lines to be dubbed badly in English. So Emma Caulfield and the guy that plays Olaf were told they did not need to memorize the Swedish that carefully. So they memorized the Swedish phonetically, and that's why it sounds so weird the way they're talking. And then they just mm-hmm. liked it for the vibe of the flashback and kept it and didn't dub over it, which oh. I thought was, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And he said that they chose Odd for Anya's original name because while researching Viking names, he found a Viking king named Olaf who had a wife named Odd who was known for a sense of humor and her ability to manage money. So he just named Aww. her Odd. Oh, I just assumed it was an odd, odd pun. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I thought it, because it's a little bit too much of a pun, but I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Knowing there's another piece there actually makes me like it more. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then we cut to the Buffy and Spike scene, which we already talked about. Which is so sad. It's such a, such a sad scene. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember when I watched this thinking, I, I do. oh, I'm glad she's like being nicer to him. And then it was the fake out. Go ahead. Sorry, Kirsten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, one of my notes is even mentally broken Spike keeps up with a perfect bleach job. So like, I really admire his <laughs> commitment to an aesthetic. He does. Um, not a hint <laughs> of roots. On that damage. I loved the rootsy. I loved the rootsy look from the first episode. I regret. I'm sad that they cut it so fast. I liked him looking so different. Um, This is the first thing that I really like. Oh, really? I don't know anything about hair dyeing. (laughs) God. Yeah, that would probably be really painful. Yeah, he said in interviews that like the the bleach was so aggressive, his scalp would bleed. Poor guy. Um, But you know, gotta get that aesthetic. Yeah, man. <laughs> Do it for the gram. <laughs> Do it for the gram. Um, but I, I can remember when I first watched it that I was like, oh, I'm so glad she's being nice to him. And then the like fake out, yep. which I actually think is really good. Um, yeah. The scene, the, the scene feels weirdly placed though, right? Because it feels like, mm-hmm. I, I guess they just needed Spike, right? It was like, well, we've got James Marsters in the credits. we got to use him in this episode. He's hot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so they shoehorned in Spike and they shoehorned in Dawn for their, like, two lines so that they could, yeah. you know, contractually obligated. It does show, like, again, Buffy enters the scene as the villain, right? Like, the camera yeah. pans over and it's yeah. like, oh, no, yeah. it's Buffy. And it's, <laughs> like, I like that. Yeah. And I really like the the first here. Like, this is how the first should have been. Mm-hmm. Like, she touches him, right? Like, that's yeah. it. I really like yeah. the moment where she touches him. And then when we look at him again, he's touching himself. Like, I really thought that mm-hmm. that was a cool way. Like, I hate the whole, like, oh, if you hug it, you'll go right through him. Like, I like the idea of it as a phantom. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really yeah. worked for me. Yeah. So then we move to Willow walking on campus with her professor. <laughs> who, who cares so much? <laughs> I mean, yeah. We're going to do everything possible to catch you up, Willow. Like, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. I, no, I don't think I, I don't think the, the, ahead, I don't think Drew Goddard, when he wrote this episode, knew how college worked. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I just, I'm just like, this is, this has pop no, quizzes. This has, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, pop quizzes, like, and like, 
she t- talks about like her grades slipping. I was like, your grades really don't <laughs> slip. You have like a few papers. Like it's really not. Yeah. It's really not. A, and then like you don't have to go talk to one professor that you had last semester. <laughs> like it's, right. a really, it's a really <laughs> odd scene. <laughs> it also the ending of yeah. it. This is really weird, but like it really. We've talked before about the whole like Buffy goes to college thing. When Anya comes out and is like, mm-hmm. "My boyfriend lives here," I was like, "You are a grown woman." And it's like, no, she's supposed to be a <laughs> yeah. college like age. But it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so preposterous that I was yeah. taken aback by it. <laughs> I know because they age yeah. them up so much, but like right. realistically, they're like twenty one, twenty two in the yeah. well, in the, the yeah. characters would be yeah. Um, to say yeah, that's yeah. I mean. And Matthew, we've talked, we had talked about oh, that yeah. before, and even I, like, and watching it now as a 31 year old, I was like, Anya, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of call me by your name shit is this? <laughs> it is a great scene, though, with the walk of shame yeah. and the we just had lots and lots of sex and and Willow, yeah. you could see how hard Willow is trying. Which makes you so sad because you know what Willow's about to discover. So you see Willow really trying. She's trying with Anya, right? She wants to extend that hand of friendship. She wants to make up for the ways that they've really shut Anya out. And then, yeah. She goes to investigate. And because we saw, she saw the blood on Anya's hand because Lady Macbeth didn't wash it all off. And Willow goes in to investigate Mm -hmm. and finds all of these murdered frat boys with their hearts ripped out. And also... Which is such a weird callback. It's she finds a girl in the closet who is a girl who was in Buffy's classroom in Life Serial. Oh. I don't know if we all knew this. Yeah. Huh. That actress is in two episodes. She plays the know-it-all student in Life Serial and another college student here, but I'm assuming it's the same oh. person. She is in more episodes of Buffy mm-hmm. than Amy Adams, which is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Adams would have killed this scene. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cousin Beth in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> I need to point out Willow's outfit here because it is so ridiculous, but I kind of love it. Like all red. Yeah, with no, the I have skirt. specific notes on her outfit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the boots. Boots like that break my heart because I'm four foot 11. <laughs> so then Willow turns around to find the spider thingy crawling up the wall. We get Willow, like, protects her and the girl from the spider demon, throws it out the window, and then she yells at the girl. She's What does she say? Like, stop your sniveling or whining or whatever. I don't... Yeah. I feel like we didn't need that. I, I don't know. So, what did you- I have so many notes about that, those four seconds of show. <laughs> first of all, yes. I hate that yeah. the girl in the closet says that a spider did it, because she makes it sound like Buzz from Home Alone's tarantula, like, was loose. Like, no, it's clearly... <laughs> a demon. Like, it was not... <laughs> um, and second of all, like, yeah, I think that they really do play a little fast and loose, like, like charmed looks like a codex compared to Buffy with magic in season seven, because they really don't know what they're talking about. And like, the way mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. make Eva, Willow yeah. go so bad just from putting up a force field, like, I get what they're trying to telegraph, but like, right. it feels so silly to keep it just feels so silly and unneeded and unnecessary and like i really feel like they Mm -hmm. needed to write a magic bible for buffy behind the scenes and they forgot that i was just gonna say i just wish it was clearer once again i keep complaining about this but i just wish it was clearer what happened to willow like 
did she, was she in grief and she did this thing? Was she an addict and not under her control? Or now right. this third option, which is that like the concept of evil made her do it, right? Like I'm not, <laughs> I just yeah. wish, I just wish the coin would stop spinning, you know? Oh, I was going to say, there's a reason why when I wrote a book in the Buffy verse, I deliberately said it after an event in the comics that ends magic on earth because I did not want to deal with the lack of a coherent magic system in Buffy. Um, I feel like you can get away with it to a certain extent in the TV show, but on a book, everything's on the page, right? You can see everything. And so I was like, I'm not going to deal with their lack of a magic system, but I agree. Like, I feel (laughs) like it's very, um, yeah, it's, it's like it's tapping into magic inherently evil because it seems to like just flip that switch so fast because she's not being particularly aggressive. She's not doing it for personal gain. Right. She's doing it to protect someone else. So, yeah, I agree. There's not a clear line to why that would trigger that. Let's uh, let's just all thank our lucky stars. We're not doing the get it done episode where she uh, says that ma- all magic is based on physics out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hands up. I do like that episode. But I like that episode, except when they was, except yeah, when the, the writer said the writer said, you know what? All magic is based on the periodic table. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I my notes, I just like, yeah, I don't they, like she's protecting someone. It doesn't make sense that like I, I get that it was supposed to be like, oh, in season six it was very like she's abusing it, but that's like not abusing it to protect, I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rules are just not there. So then we cut, we get back to um is this a set? Yeah, we talked to Odd slash Anya. She's cursed Olaf. See, the like village is turned against him because he's a big troll now. And I think that Dehoffrin, the actor that plays him, Andy Umberger, is so good. Yeah. With, like acting yeah. while in these like ridiculous prosthetics. <laughs> and his scene here with Anya is like so good. It's like I have so good yeah. for so many of the scenes because they're all so good in this episode. Well, they clearly figured yeah. out the thing that the X-Men comics finally figured out with Mr. Sinister, which is it works if you play him as like an older gay man, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like if he's just kind of catty mm-hmm. and kind of bitchy and like, I really like the, the flick because there was always this like, why is it all these girls? And like, oh, because he's he's a gay and he likes <laughs> like, <laughs> like the Charlie is Angels kind of vibe about it, which I really like. Yeah. Um, it's like appreciation for yeah. it is really pr- like it's a great character. Nothing quite feels like him. Yes. Oh, I just love how this scene switches from that sort of like old timey. And then all of a sudden it switches to reality when he shows up yeah. because she's lost that, um, you know, that happiness, that that sort of like dreamy life can be okay. And now she's in reality and here's a demon and she's so calm when she turns around and there's a (laughs) demon right there. I mean, I guess she did just turn a man into a troll. So like her reality is okay. But yeah, um, yeah, like, yeah, he's so great. Well, you know, it's so funny. I was going to bring that up as another kind of film trope because there's so many films and actually it's funny Mm -hmm. because the episode of WandaVision with Emma Caulfield also goes from black and white to color. So that's two uh, Mm -hmm. Emma Caulfield black and white to color episodes we're talking about. But um, I, that is another film trope. And I, I kind of got the opposite sense. Like I kind of felt like the color came into odd Anya on Yanka's life through Dahofren. Like that is where she felt like that was a time, you know, this is all about Anya the outcast and she's bouncing around from place to place. And he actually says to her, his words are, we're a family of sorts. He doesn't say this is a job. Mm -hmm. He says we're a family. Mm -hmm. 
and that's when the color comes in. And I like that sense that this is when um, Anya was awakened to who, not who she really is, obviously, but, you know, she felt elevated in some way. She felt like she had become a part of something. Now, obviously that fold, that family doesn't, isn't going to be enough for her. The her Manson life. family too. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not a good but vibe. It is, but it's, but it's, um, it's a really interesting moment for the color to come in. Okay, yeah. wait. I have a question that I was going to hold off until the end, but I feel like this is a good point to mention it. So the thing that uh, a thing that like bothers me a little bit that I wish we had explained, like even a throwaway line is, you know, in Angel, they did a little bit better of a job with like, there being gray areas with demons. In Buffy, it was usually pretty black and white. And I mean, Buffy's very black and white in this episode about, oh, yeah. no, we have to kill Anya. So do vengeance demons not lose their souls or do they still have their, like, what's what's the deal with souls and vengeance demons? Because prior to this, it was always, they don't have a soul. But like, well, eh, I, right? I, I, I do think that they, Buffy says specifically in this episode the, that um, when when Xander says I still love her, he says this is not. She says this is not the Anya you love. This is a demon. So I think they are saying she doesn't have a soul because um, she, she's saying like this. It's almost with the vampire thing. Like um, later on when they say you know or you know in Buffy they say you're not looking at your your friend. You're looking at the demon that killed him. Right. Right. So right. so he she says outwardly like this isn't Anya that the one the person that you love. This is a demon. But she's like the whole point is like she hasn't been killing because she feels bad about it, right? Yeah, I don't well, buy as usual. I don't yeah. buy Buffy's. I've, right, I've talked well, about that's, this that's the like problem. That. I'm, I'm telling you what like what their logic right. is, but it's yeah. insane troll logic, right? <laughs> because it's the yeah. same kind yeah. of logic with Spike. Like the logic with Spike was if you if you muzzle a dog long enough, it becomes a nice dog, basically, right? And like right. I guess the thing is like if you become human long enough, even when you lose your soul human the humanness remains humanness like but it makes no (laughs) sense because when she was odd she was human for like 20 or 18 years let's say and then she was just human for three and it it sticks with her this time right yeah also Mm -hmm. she agrees to kill these people as a human right like it it, it would weaken the story if she was like somehow metaphysically and ethically different as a demon, right? Like it only works as a character study if she is the same person through those centuries. I've I've gone on endlessly on the show about how I don't buy Buffy's whole soul versus not soul thing. The question to Mm -hmm. me always has to be is, are they using lethal force in a way that can't be stopped by regular means? And that seems to be actually what's happening here too, right? Like Anya is now killing people. Anya must be stopped. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not like she entered some new state by being a vengeance demon. I just, I think that the story is weaker if that's how we read it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's very, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird because it's weird that they spend so much time talking about souls with other characters, but then they're just like, eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I I think it doesn't come up specifically ever in this episode because of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, that's just a thing that I wanted to see what y'all felt. But yeah, that was just a thing that like kind of bothered me. But so Willow saves the girl. Willow calls Buffy. We see Buffy board at work balancing the uh, pencil holder on her head. A rare moment of likability from Buffy in this yes, episode. Yes. <laughs> and I like that she's like, oh, heart ripped out? Did you get the class you wanted? Like, that's a very Buffy, like. She's got those great, like, cheesy motivational posters on her wall. 
should we also Willow doesn't tell Buffy that it was Anya, right? She mm-hmm. she doesn't tell her that. We get um Halfrek, we cut to Halfrek and Anya in Anya's apartment. And Anthony, I thought I kept thinking of how um so Anthony and I had interviewed Kali Rosha early last year. Jesus Christ, it was almost a year ago, Anthony. Oh my god, it was. But she was already in quarantine when we did it. Yeah. So oh, it would have been God, yeah. what a year. <laughs> so she informed us that she was flown out for a weekend because she was in a play in new york god i'm gonna butcher this i want to say it's noises off is that a is that a broadway show Mm -hmm. i do not know well i think i think that's what it was called she was in a show so they flew her out for one weekend to film all of her scenes for season seven which is only this episode and lessons and i kept thinking of what part of this was she not there for? Because she teleports out, and her and Willow are never in frame together. Right in this scene, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I don't know if you noticed. That. Also, she that. told us she was green screen for the final scene, right? Like she is, yeah. she's never in the frat house, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which you can tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. it's totally. <laughs> she's really excellent, though, in it's this and as show. always. Um, also, I really love that board that's above Anya's couch. I've always been obsessed yes. with it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. I didn't even notice that. Really? Oh, it's gorgeous. And it's like such a great little character piece, right? Like cuz it has mm-hmm. this like gothic energy, like like gothic like church style gothic. Like it tells you something about Anya's mm-hmm. like fussy aesthetic in a way I really like. One thing I yeah. want to say is that they the, the the set of Anya's apartment is a set that I wish that we visited more because she has a cute little apartment and Xander's yeah, apartment yes. was ugly. <laughs> oh, I like that and apartment. Honestly, I would have just been, I, they should have had it where uh, Anya was just like, why don't you move in with me? Because I have cute stuff and you have no style. Yeah. <laughs> Xander's apartment is very like investment bankers first apartment where it's like, I guess there's a poster of this and (laughs) there's the square furniture. Yeah. She has a gorgeous, fussy, like teacup aesthetic that I really like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I like Kali Rocha's delivery of lemon drop when Willow comes in. It's like so good. Oh my God. It's perfect. Right. <laughs> because really there is no reason that she would call Willow Lemon Drop. Like I feel like if it were Dawn, she would call Dawn Lemon Drop, you know? But there's really <laughs> no interaction between <laughs> Willow and Halfrek for her to call her Lemon Drop. I like Kalu no. Rocha because she always plays Halfrek like a second grade teacher. Like there's something. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I was also gonna say I feel like she always plays Halfrek as the Judy Greer to Anya's lead lady. Right. Yeah. She has a very mm-hmm. Judy Greer energy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, she told us when we interviewed her, remember, Anthony, didn't she say something like she always tries to go like left when people want her to go mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like she does that on purpose. And I actually took her calling Willow Lemon Drop almost the way I, I saw someone retweeted something on Twitter today, actually, that was like, oh, when you're when you're consoling a child, when you're petting a dog, when two bros are about to fight. And it's like, do you want me to get your mommy? Is like things like you say to a child you're consoling and like a bro says to another guy right. trying to fight. I almost feel like it's like that version of that where it's like she would say it lovingly to Dawn, but to Willow, she means it to be condescendingly like, ah, you fucking dick. She like, just uses <laughs> contempt in like the yeah. most syrupy, sweet way. Like she yeah. has a line in a previous episode where Anya's like, 
well, why aren't all my friends saying something? She's like, sweetie, they are. Like, why aren't all my yes. friends here? And she's like, <laughs> like, she just, everything is so saccharine. Everything is too much. And it's what, it, we, it reminds us that we like her just so that we can, when we'll feel bad Sad. when she dies at the end, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's really yes. great work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Anthony, remember when she read the mayor lines, like, off the cuff oh, yeah. right away? I just wanted she her was- to play the mayor when I heard her do that. <laughs> When she read the mayor part of the first um, for our episodes on episode on lessons, she did that after our interview, and like it was so good. And she did it like right away. She was like, "Okay, where are the lines? Yeah, okay, got it." And like read them, and it was perfect. Right, Anthony? Such a pro! Oh my god. <laughs> um, but also another like ref reason we should have known Halfrek was going to die because Anya literally says to her how happy she is Halfrek's there. She doesn't <laughs> know what she do without Halfrek, and I was like, mm-hmm. "All right, this is like sign number one. Halfrek's about to die." <laughs> yep. Uh, but so, and I, I do really like this Willow Anya scene. I think mm-hmm. it's, I, I, they're, they're bringing more nuance to what's going on than Buffy does at the end. And I really like these two characters who have done, you know, evil things, but also like are part of the Scooby gang. And I, I just like the idea of the two of them, like Willow is trying to go there to kind of like curtail whatever's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. I really like that Willow has that respect for her where she knows, she kind of knows Buffy's going to be black and white about it, right? That's why she doesn't tell Buffy at first, why she doesn't go to Buffy at first. Um, but then, like, she kind of doesn't get anywhere with Anya. I like the feeling of a scene of someone who has been down a certain path trying to speak to someone who she sees not going down that, I mean, it's they're obviously different, but they're both, let's just say, in the realm of evil. And I like that idea of, you know, there's many times in a TV show where two characters who really don't, who, I mean, they haven't really interacted one-on-one that much since, like, Triangle. And mm-hmm. now Willow feels like she's the best to speak to her because of her own uh, dalliance with evil. I like that as a character choice. You know, like, before I tell Buffy to go stab you i'm going to give you the benefit of a pep talk right yeah right yeah which is the nice payoff of the de hoffren scene with willow too right like the reminder that he has made this offer to her before her work is in very much parallel with his work right like there's it's Mm -hmm. a really neat the fact that she can even summon him because he has made that offer before like there's a really cool path crossing thing happening with the two characters and, and I, I think mean, that that Willow mm-hmm. scene with DeHoffren or the Willow plot device with DeHoffren pays off because you get the sense that even when she knows that Buffy is going on her way to go kill her, Willow is like, there's still a way for me to intervene. Like, if I yeah. can't get to her, one of her, her boss slash best friend, one of her best <laughs> friends who also is yeah. very into killing will somehow get to her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So then we we cut to Xander and Buffy hunt, um, hunting the demon. Um, one of you already mentioned. I love that. Like it comes. It kind of it kind of throws Buffy off. But then once she throws it off her, Xander's like, "Oh my god, we got to do this. We got to do this." And she's like, "Uh huh," and just throws the axe up. The demon's done. Like we don't spend a lot of time with it. We don't need a lot of time. Yeah. It was great. It was also the scene where my seven-year-old repeatedly kept coming into the room and wanting to watch what I was watching. <laughs> Is that too scary for a seven-year-old? I have no sense of... <laughs> um, well, so here's the thing. So his, his question was, 
why does she have the axe and he has the sword? Because I think he should have the axe and she should have the sword. And I explained that she's the slayer, so she can use any weapon she wants. Uh And then once she throws the axe up and the spider drops down dead, he said, oh, I wish that she hadn't killed that spider. It seemed nice. (laughs) So that's my kid. That feels like a parody of a story that, like, if... I needed to like tell someone about Kirsten's family dynamic. Right. That's like a <laughs> girls can use whatever weapon they want. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, um, one thing I do like about, and, and this is obviously said very early on in the season by the master that we're going back to the beginning, but the very beginning of season seven, before we get to the first stuff does feel a lot like season two, where like the gang goes out and tries to yeah. find out, about the monster. And I feel like this Buffy mm-hmm. Xander scene is actually something that hasn't happened in a long time on the show yeah. where Buffy and Xander go out together to like mm-hmm. do reconnaissance. And it's, I, I was actually, it's a, it's a refreshing scene in a lot of ways because it is going back to the nuts and bolts of what makes you want to watch Buffy. And then also we'll talk about this again, because I think that the scene of the conversation is a season two or three scene that hasn't happened in like four years on the show. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the, I, I, I know that season seven can be polarizing, but I think especially the start of season seven does a really good job of showing us like scenes that remind us of like older episodes, like when in help, when Willow's doing the research, just looking up Cassie and they're just kind of like bantering and, that reminds me of that. And like, yeah. I don't know, I, I like that kind of stuff. Just like them kind of like the, the low stakes of like, you know, okay, what are like, I mean, clearly them hunting a demon that murdered people is not low stakes, but you know what I mean? It's not world ending states that we often get on Buffy or like anything like that. And it feels like a little bit more comforting that it's like, okay. And Buffy killed the demon. Like we're good. Right. We can get all plot from here on out. Yeah. <laughs> but so then after that, we cut to, Oh, a weird thing that I noticed, Xander and Buffy are like immediately bloodied up, which is like weird because the show is, doesn't normally do that. And the thing barely touched them. But like Buffy has these like huge deep cat cuts on her back and on her shoulder. And Xander has one across his face, which is like weird. I don't know. I, yeah, I felt like it was just an indication that the, the, the spider demon had sunk into them in some way with its, yeah. with its arms or whatever limbs. To like make it more like to up the stakes of the demon could have whatever yeah. done harm. I mean, there's a weird, there are no stakes after this and it, it does a good job of hiding that, right? Like Anya is not imminently mm-hmm. about to do something, right? Like there is actually no active threat for the rest of the episode. And I think that maybe that's a good way of tricking the eye into thinking there is, right? Like right, she's right. not about to grant another wish or anything when Buffy goes for her. Right, like that's right. That's right. a cold-blooded attempt to murder her at that scene. <laughs> I mean, it's also very funny that Aunt, that Buffy feels like she has to kill Anya because, on you're right, Anya is not you know resurrecting a church from atop a hill to 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 kill the world. Like Anya is very modeling yeah. and could do with a good pep. And like if her right. friend <laughs> brought them back into their fold, like that is actually what could help is kindness. But like, like she's not in in primal evil mode. She's actually really doubting her return to evil at this moment. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we cut to uh, the scene of well, then they get home and they see Willow sitting in the living room, 
she's about to tell them about Anya. We cut to Anya and Halfrek at the Russian Revolution, which I think is such a good scene. I love Anya's line of Russia was ready to explode. All we did was give it a little push. Like so good. I love I I love the whole scene. I love the man running in on fire and then barely noticing. Mm-hmm. I put quote, you're talking about work times, I'm talking about life equals vengeance is what I am. Which like I I liked the conversation that, you know, we spent other parts of this episode, this season, with Halfrick being the one like, you gotta do more. And Anya like, uh, do I? And now like we see that in the past, it was kind of reversed, right? Halfrick's the one that's like, well, we did this. Let's go like chill and watch this house burn down. And Anya's like, no, we got to do more vengeance because that's all we're here for. And, and the two of them are so good together. And at the same time, mm-hmm. I also feel like it's very true to the character because as I was talking about, like when you're first you know, looking for a friend group in college or something like, and you go really into something like that becomes Anya's whole identity. And so she is saying it as a positive, but we're also supposed to, on some level, take it as a negative. Like she has no identity outside of her work. And that is a really not, like if someone told me that, if, if someone told me that their identity was only truck driver, I'd be like, let's talk about this. Like, you know, <laughs> other things for you to feel like flourishing and fulfilled. And I want you to be more than just truck driver, Larry, you know, like, um, so it's, and, and, and it reminds me honestly of a line that Caleb says to the first Buffy later, where he says, where he first realizes that the first is in Buffy's form and he, and she asks him, you know, what do you see? And he says, uh, loneliness and our strength and the loneliness that comes with real strength. And it kind of reminds me of that because when Anya is talking about like vengeance being exactly who she is, that or being all of who she is being her whole being, it sounds lonely to only do vengeance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. It maybe this is obvious to say, like incredibly obvious to say, but I do like the way that we talked about how rigorously formalized the episode is. Like every scene has Anya change politics and self-identity. Mm-hmm. So like she's a socialist with the bunnies. She's now like this rabid, violent communist. She is obviously <laughs> a capitalist in the present day. But also there's always the statement of like in the the Scandinavian scenes, like you'll always be my beautiful girl and now vengeance is what I am and then I'll be Mrs. Right. Like we see like a very, it's not just like vague. It, there's a very specific identity in each scene that she has defined herself by that is going to be undone by the end of the episode. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to read you guys. I wanted to read all of you these notes that I, I found that I'm not quite sure what they're getting at, but it says, so this is from the Buffy Wikipedia uh, in the flashback to 1905, Halfrek credits the Russian revolution to Anya, an event which actually happened. However, in the wish Giles states that destroying her power center will reverse all her wishes. She granted, There was an abortive revolution in 1905, which, though ultimately unsuccessful at toppling the Tsar, did force some needed reforms in a new constitution. The Russian Revolution, which brought the communists into power, didn't happen until 1917. Someone wants to translate that all for me. (laughs) That's the reality is that Buffy just got the dates wrong on the the Russian Rev. (laughs) Okay, so that's what they're saying is that the dates are just kind of wrong, but... But that's I think probably person, just. I think this person's trying to five-head it and and like galaxy brain it and say 
that maybe Anya did cause the Russian Revolution 12 years early, but then her power center being destroyed made it happen 12 years later or something. Uh, Yeah, no, I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So then we get to one of the very big scenes that we kind of already discussed of Willow, Xander, and Buffy in the Summer's living room. This conversation feels like it's a long time coming. I can't believe how right Xander is. And this shit hurts my feelings. Like, I just... I remember how I felt when I first watched this when Buffy says, like, do you remember you saying kick his ass? And Willow's like, I didn't say that. Like, I I like this fight. I like this argument. The three of them are, like, doing some of their best acting. I read that Sarah Michelle Gellar was only available on set for three days this week because she got married to Freddie Prinze the week they filmed this. What a rough episode to film while you're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah. feel like she probably walked in and was like, we're doing this in one take. And she fucking committed because she gives, even though she's in the wrong, I think she's doing a really good, like the acting is really good here. Mm-hmm. Well, well, so what I was saying before is that this scene is really reminiscent of all of those library scenes where the whole group would kind of confront Buffy about this issue. And those scenes were really good. And I, I'm going to go on a small tangent because I, I watched... a a YouTube video the other day that was um, about the one scene that uh, that really makes Avengers work and the scene that doesn't make Justice League work and how they're the same scene. And Joss Whedon always writes that one scene where it's like they all come together and have this discussion about their ethics and their politics and what they believe and how it really works in Avengers and it doesn't work in Justice League. And it's usually halfway through the movie and they're both exactly halfway through the movie um and this scene reminds me of that video of that video talking about uh justice league and avengers because this is like all of the interested parties aside from anya coming together and talking about their ethics and their politics and their you know their agendas and having to kind of come to a consensus that they don't come to about what to do with anya um but i also like that in a way, this is different from the library scenes because Xander is not on the is not really on the offensive this time. It's usually Xander in those scenes who was the harshest with yeah. Buffy, and he yeah. would mm-hmm. kind of be attacking her. And it feels like it's kind of reversed where they have to finally have a talk about Xander's girl, Xander's partner who kills people, right. you know. And that's where Xander's in the right because all those times that they tried to convince Buffy that they that they had to do something about their partner, she wouldn't listen. And now Xander's not listening and she kind of can't see why. Right. Yeah. And like, ugh, I I just, I wish we had paused more on this moment because mm-hmm. I felt like, I mean, like you said, Anthony, they really do. They like show it to you and then they roll right over it. And I wish we could have had more of this fight because the three of them are doing great acting in this scene. And I, I do really like that Willow's kind of just like, She's there, but she doesn't really want to get involved because, like you said, one of you said, it's like, well, how, where does that leave her? If we can't forgive yeah. Anya, why do we forgive her? And, you know, like, the really, the only thing Willow does is, like, she's like, I didn't say that about Angel. And then also when she tells Buffy, like, I can't. Like, she can't go to help Buffy kill Anya. And, like, she's, like, morally opposed to this, but also, like, understands the the nuance here. And I, I don't know, I just that makes sense for all three of them at this point in their lives and characters that this is how each of them feels. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I see. It makes me really angry because it's such a sliding scale, right? Like 
um, she's not the Anya that you know. She's a demon. Yeah, so are a lot of their friends. Yeah. Like, yeah. they hang out with demons. <laughs> and, like, later on in this season, we find out that Spike has been killing people and burying them in a basement. And, like, okay, so he has a body count now again. Again. But that's okay. <laughs> and and for whatever reason, Anya now having a body count, when, you know, you have Xander in the previous season summoning a demon for kicks and giggles that gets, like, actual people killed. Yeah. Like, all of these things, but it's not okay when Anya does it. And that really bothers me that Buffy draws such a hard line here. The other thing that drives me nuts, and we talked about this earlier, is that they almost go there with the angel reveal, right? That the kick is ass. I never said that. Like, why can't we go there? But no. I think it's because it would complicate Xander and Buffy's relationship so much at this point, And I don't feel like they had the space to address that but it really bothers me that they didn't, right? Because we waited so many seasons and we thought, oh, that's never going to be addressed. Right. And so for it to be briefly addressed in such like a throwaway, Buffy doesn't even notice way is like, oh, come on. You know, and what's weird is until this viewing of the episode, I kind of had remembered it as, I didn't remember Buffy saying both of you, but she does explicitly say like Willow too, because I always thought it was like Buffy throwing in his face like, oh, remember the lie you told me that Willow didn't say this. But, but she that, doesn't know that it's a lie. Yeah, she doesn't know that it's a lie because she yeah. even while she's arguing with Xander, she turns to Willow and says, like, Willow said it too, as if, mm-hmm. like, that is what happened when we, the viewers, know that's not enough. Yeah, I just... But I, I do think you're right, Kirsten. It, it probably would have complicated their relationship, like, way too much mm-hmm. for, like, all the other plot they needed to get through and, like, where would we have fit that in as well? It would have had to be, like... She forgives him immediately and we just keep moving with this argument and that wouldn't have worked either. Now I'm just imagining, I'm just like thinking about what Kirsten just said. And like, I mean, there's, there's things that are hard to pinpoint with this season, right? Like it is actually kind of hard to tell how much they could rely on Nicholas Brendan, for example, like could he have been allowed to carry a plot this season? But Kirsten makes me wonder, like it would have been cool if what came to head in season seven was Xander's militarism, both as like a, Mm -hmm. an actual character beat, but also like his black and white way of looking at the world. Like what if Buffy were convinced by that? And it had to be something that was addressed by this season instead of something that seems to manifest almost entirely out of her character as like an expression of her, like a slayer is always alone philosophy. Um, like, what if Xander were proposing this sort of increased militarism that will now dominate season seven and anything that was made during the period of the Iraq war, right? Like, what if <laughs> what if that had been something she had chosen to reject by instead of it just being like a manifestation of like the feminist um, ethos that swallows the back end of the season? You know, like mm-hmm. I would have that would have been cool to see. But again, like can Xander be relied upon to carry that big a plot at the end of this is a question. I'm surprised. I'm, I think what you're pointing out though, is that there in, in this argument, Xander is being inconsistent with his philosophy of now seven years and how, right. He yeah. It's, all. As and, you said, it's the first time he's asked for mercy ever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no one seems willing to say like, Oh, it's pretty like, he tries to throw things in Buffy's face and it's interesting in, in writing argument that no, one, that no one says, well, you always want to hack away at whatever, you know, problem right. we're having. And now all of a sudden when I thought I would be joining your side with like get getting rid of evil, you have a problem with it. 
Right. Like he wanted to murder Spike just because he had sex with Anya. Right. Like and right. and Angel mm-hmm. and Oz, right? Like he right. spends his days hanging out with people he has advocated for the murder of, right? Like <laughs> it's a little odd. And it comes, I guess, off the end of season six where he had to be Mercy guy, right? Like he's yellow crayon guy. So right. now it's yeah. kind of he's in a different mode now. Um but like what is Xander's arc this season is also an open question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I would just I would just answer that by saying that almost no one gets a real arc this season because they just focus on the plot so much. Yeah, yeah, I, that's fair. I think Dawn gets the most arc, and it kind of ends by potential. True. Well, I'm, well, I will say, funnily enough, just because I rewatched this whole season recently. Did you finish? Did you finish the whole watch? I finished the watch two days ago. Oh. <laughs> Funnily enough, it doesn't end with potential. Later on, it becomes very clear, and I forget where the I forget where this goes in the comics, which I won't open that can. But it becomes <laughs> clear that like Dawn is going to be a watcher or something because she says right. "mini watcher" a couple of times, and she ends up spending most of the end of season seven hanging out with Giles, who yeah. actively hates her sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that point, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as soon as she and was I, trying to figure out how to pronounce Mafashnik, I was like, oh she's going to be a watcher. Like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of the thesis of Dawn, right? Like, those who can do, th- those who can slay, those who can't watch. <laughs> <laughs> so Buffy storms out of the house with her sword. Willow immediately runs upstairs, gets her talisman to summon Dahofrin. And again, Dahofrin is so good in this scene. Like, yeah. I love that it's like he's doing his like demon intro voice and then he's like, oh, Mrs. Rosenberg, so good to see you again. Like he (laughs) he clearly likes her and clearly knows her power. And like that's Anthony, like you said, it's like he's like a gay who's like, oh, another woman with power. He loves loves, loves drama. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also like the weird glimpse into what um, Arashmahar is like, like his strange note about the sketch on Lloyd's cubicle wall. It's like, yeah. what is this dimension like is very unclear. <laughs> well, it's very interesting. Uh, I also love that you remember the name of his dimension. Like, yeah. wow. Anthony, I can't believe you pulled that oh. out. I was like, what? I only remember it because um, in her terrible Latin, Willow says, Arash Maharis. And I was like, oh, they they made it. They they'd like put it in its declension or whatever. So. <laughs> says Arash Mahar in his speech when he's turning around. Oh, there you go. See, not um, that remarkable. <laughs> but um, yeah. the, I think what interests me most, and this is, is going to jump ahead in the narrative just to kind of make the point, is like... I'm going to press my buzzer. <laughs> yeah, you, you were, you, you know, I didn't press a buzzer when you I were know. doing it at, at minute <laughs> one. Um, but, so... Dehofren, it's funny because Dehofren is like this in a way when he talks about the water cooler and everything. Um, it's unclear to me, or or the show is some unclear on how he treats his vengeance demons because he does refer to them as a family, and then yeah. he's very cavalier about losing two of his family, and it feels very cold and capitalist at the end when he basically you don't know how big the roster is. I think earlier. Anthony referred to them as kind of like Charlie's angels. Well, what happens if you lose two out of the three angels in one right, fight, right. right? So it's kind of a question of like who, how, you know, Dehofren calls them a family, but then he's so 
cavalier about getting rid of two of them and then spends the rest of the season trying to kill Anya because every few episodes there's a demon that comes after Anya that they do actually have to kill. Which I do think that part they shouldn't have done. I think they should have just like, fine, we don't need to hear from Dehoffrin again. Like this should have been the ending of Dehoffrin because I do think it feels weird that like he did, he made a big deal about how he wanted to cause her pain. He even references the fact that he knows she's going to die, but then still sends the demons. Seems like, yeah, it does feel like an odd beat. I think it diminishes the magisterial exit. He goes on here. Um, Also also to, to Anthony's point, isn't it a point also about the misogyny of gay men that when women don't act the exact way that we want them to. Oh, exactly. Yeah, they're dolls, right? Like there yeah. is sort of the disposability is is part of that, right? Like I right. I talked about the Manson family earlier. Like there is kind of like there is something seductive about the way he gets her and then he wants to have her. Like they're favorites in a very objectified way. Right. Um, and they're interesting only insofar as the art they make interests him, right? Uh, I would see, love to see Once Upon a Time in a Rashmahar as a film. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, Kirsten, I'd be curious what you think about this because I always kind of viewed Dahafren as like a charming mob boss where like he's still <laughs> very cut and like you want to leave? Well, I'm going to fuck you up so much, even though I've been nice to you, even though prior you were my favorite, the idea of you wanting to leave, now I'm going to ruin everything you love. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I, view, I don't know. How do you like see him? I mean, yeah, like because he puts on such like a he wants to be relatable, right? Like he makes a joke about a cubicle and the water cooler. And like, he's going to relate to people on their own level to try and get them to feel like, Oh, you know, we're friends. He's not just my boss. He's a friend. But then again, as soon as you stop serving his purposes, he turns so cold and just absolutely vindictive. And, you know, like we've all had friendships like that, right? Where you're really close to the person and you do a ton of stuff together. And then when the friendship's over, they're like, Oh, by the way, I'm going to burn you to the ground. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, like you just, yeah, like, I, I think he's such a fascinating character and they do such a good job with him because, yeah, he, he comes across so like playful and so funny and relatively charming. And then he just, he, he destroys Anya in a way that nobody else could, right? Because he knows how to take yeah. absolutely everything away from her. Well, he's, he's the foil for Xander, right? And Olaf, right? Like, yeah. He is another... Like all the things we're talking about, like the misogyny and the the objection of the person once they're done with them. That's exactly what Xander mm-hmm. did, right? Like suddenly Anya mm-hmm. was in the wrong mm-hmm. as soon as he was over her, right? Like he also just kind of threw her away when he was done. Um, so like yeah. he, he and like he's a character type that this show actually never really gets to do because it's so obsessed with like it's Lovecraftian mechanics. He's like an old school devil, right? Like he is like a Mm -hmm. Mephistopheles, like getting you to sign a deal and ruining you through your own actions, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of what his pleasure is. Um, But because that is what he is, it makes such a great bounce off. Like it, it, as much as this is Xander at his most right, it shows how destructive he has been to Anya's life just by being in this like weird codependent, anxious attachment relationship. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so then we go to Buffy, we get to Xander and Anya in the frat house. Buffy arrives and she really, I mean, and then you've said this numerous times, but she really arrives as the villain. Like she's cold faced. Mm -hmm. She's not saying anything. She's just there to fucking kill Anya. Like, and there's no, they don't pretend otherwise. Right. Like even Anya says like, where, where's your banter? 
and like Buffy still doesn't say anything. She's just hacking at her. What's like, that's great all is she's- that even in that beat, she points out what a bully Buffy has been to her. Like, where's your pop culture mm-hmm. references? I don't get right. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bad both ways. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. Per- it's it's like a fight that is also deeply personal. Like Anya taking mm-hmm. out what I think she sees as an active effort on Buffy's part to alienate her for years. always keeping her as the outcast right like in that moment when she says the pop culture reference she's saying like where's the thing that always reminds me that i'm not in your group you know right Mm -hmm. here you are trying to kill me which we learned in this episode has been her experience for 1300 years right like in she's like take your literal interpretations to the other side of the river is what people told her (laughs) (laughs) And her line where where Buffy and Xander show up and sh- and Anya says, "I should have slaughtered people weeks ago." So like, good. This is what it takes for them to pay attention to her, right? This is yeah. what it takes for them to want to engage with her. Ugh, yeah, so good. And, so sad. Yeah. You know, and then we get the Anya. Anya gets stabbed, which I I feel like is a silly beat because we already saw Halfred get stabbed, and we know that does nothing, but it does create good visuals and. We get the flashback to it's also horrible. Um, like it's really yeah. both when mm-hmm. she gets stabbed and when she pulls it out, pulls it is out. really yeah. visceral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the pullout, which phrasing, but like the pullout is what I think really does it for me because it's like the the like grossness of and like her acting of like it still hurts. Like she still feels it. It's not like she's not feeling the pain. Just didn't kill her. So like I don't know. I I do really like that, but. So then we get a flash. Our final flashback of our Anya episode is her kind of wearing a WandaVision wig, the same <laughs> wig that she wears in that show. And maybe she got to keep her. <laughs> maybe, right? <laughs> it's like an <laughs> situation. They're all in the closet waiting. <laughs> I, I made a note about that wig because I feel like I just, it's such a it's such a terrible wig. It's so one, it's so dusty. And two it's a terrible approximation of what Anya's hair looked like in Once More with Feeling because her hair was not that big. Like that hair has its, it's, it's volume mm-hmm. and dust and that's not what the hair looks like. It's volume and dust. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. But so I, weirdly, I often go back and forth how do I, whether I feel like this was necessary, but I, I do. I think like, because I was wondering mm-hmm. on this viewing what I would feel. Because sometimes I feel like the other um, the other flashbacks did more character work, and this is kind of revisiting character. Like this isn't char- new character work, right? This is her within the like the last season. So we've already seen this version of Anya, but I do think it works because the Anya we end up with is different. Um, so mm-hmm. this for like this time it was like ugh this hurts my feelings I love Anya too much like she's so happy and we know that he's gonna leave her at the fucking altar after this and like she puts on her wedding dress and ugh. well this is my favorite flashback not just because I love the song but also I feel like I mean this is an episode all about what Anya has chosen to identify her as and herself as and in the the Russia flashback she says. I am vengeance. And then this is, I will be Mrs. So it's really about the transition Mm -hmm. from like vengeance to uh, attachment to a man. And I really, I, that, that's kind of why I, I love this, this little uh, interlude, if you will. It's, it's, it's it's my favorite flashback just because I love the song. And I think it's also a question of like, what 
did Anya do when no one was looking? Because we very rarely got mm-hmm. that. That mm. the camera very rarely looked at Anya when she wasn't uh, had anyone else's eyes on her. Um, right. So I enjoyed that sense of it in that like, oh, when Anya's alone, she thinks about Xander. And that's why we are where we are. She is without self. Like when she's alone, she sings a song about Xander. And she, you know, as opposed yeah. to Buffy who gets to sing a song about herself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kirsten, I feel like you were about to say something about the song. I don't know. I think I interrupted you. Oh, um, no. I mean, it, really the same thing. Just that, you know, again, she's defined, she's found a new way to define herself and it's through a relationship, which isn't her, right? It's, it's, she's going to be Mrs. And I love the Mrs. Anya lay mass made up yeah. name Harris. <laughs> um, yeah. And it just is so good and, and so sad because I know so many women like that and it makes me really sad. Yeah. Um, you know, few of us have turned to becoming demons <laughs> as a response to that, but some have, and um, you know, I support them in that. It's, it's really cool that it, it sounds so fun. Like it sounds like a pretty song and like the red flags in it just keep going up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. it sounds really cute and pretty, but it's like, Oh, and if we fight, I'm just going to shut up and rub his feet. Right. Like it has. And she's cleaning up his crap the entire yeah, song. Yeah. She's putting away his stuff. I mean, she literally, yeah. he literally becomes the thing she orbits around, right? In the scene. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. really great. And, like, obviously the the horror of the smash cut at the end, right? When she hits mm-hmm. that note. It's, like, a really great – I think it's such a cool inclusion. Also, like, it's a lot of work. Like, writing a song is no joke. Yeah. Like, yeah. putting it in there is really a nice – there's a lot of, like, overpaying in this episode, which I really mm-hmm. like. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it, Anthony, because they do so much more than they do in, like, any regular episode of Buffy. Like, this feels like a very special episode, right? Like, they're they're going all out. <laughs> it's a lot of, like, like the dress comes down. That dress is no joke. Or, like, the right. man on fire in the back of the Russia secret, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of money spent in the margins, which I find really cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we... As she goes out to the balcony to sing more in her wedding dress, we cut to we cut as she's hitting the note to her stabbed. She has to pull the sword out. And I think it's a really good moment. Like I just that it's so good and so like weirdly upsetting because you're just like, mm-hmm. fuck, give her a break. Like let her have a happy relationship. Let her have a good fucking day at least. Like Jesus. Um and I feel like I often <laughs> As the three of you know, I often say that with Buffy sometimes when they're like having these terrible, like, you know, in season five when there's that arc and it's just like nonstop of like them having terrible days. I'm like, can't they just have a nice day? <laughs> That's yeah. how I feel very on you in this episode. I'm like, I just want her to have a nice day. I want her to have a nice time. <laughs> but so we learned that Willow, Willow did have her talk with Hoffren. Hoffren shows up um, and he says that he had the talk with willow i wanted to know what all of you thought there's something that always bothered me i mean i know i talked about the soul part but also leaving this episode after i watched it the first time i told since he does nothing to her and there's no like even like whatever bad special effects they had to go whatever i assumed that she still had her powers he just took her out of like his like a mobster is like you're not in my my mob anymore you can do whatever the fuck you want like that's how I always took it, but like she doesn't have any powers after this, and she's no longer a demon, correct? Yeah, yeah, she's out. Yeah, 
Because she's only a demon because of him, right? He's the one who extends the vengeance demon powers. Hmm. All right. Yeah, she serves at his pleasure, right? Like, that's that's the idea is like, and that's why it it seems like, like, the point is the insult of it, right? Like, she Mm -hmm. has made nothing in his eyes. And that's why I find the, like, assassin demons, although they serve a certain plot function in later episodes, it's like, that's not, that's not the point. The point is that, like, it almost says something, it undoes what he's saying here. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're worthless, you're not even worth me killing, is what he's ended on here. And then to have him, like, change his mind is such a, a weakening of this this final scene. Because we really could have had, like, any reason for her to have to move into their house, right? It could have been, oh, there's yeah. more demons in town, they're attacking Anya, she doesn't have her powers. Boom, there you go. Like, just <laughs> have her move in the house because of that. Um, but, again, DeHoffrin is really good in this scene because he does... He, he goes through all of his Dahafrin-ness, right? Mm-hmm. Because we see the threatening. We see the jokey. We see, like, he says, oh, of course, the Slayer's trying to stab you. Isn't that just like a Slayer? Like, I I love that. I love the idea of him, like, mocking, not even just, but like, he doesn't give a shit about Buffy, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. not, it's almost like Glory, where, like, Buffy is just an annoyance to her. That's kind of what she is to Dahafrin. She's yeah. not the main character of this plot to him at all. Like, he... She's inconsequential. And I like that. And I like that he kind of, he knows, like, he knows he's like, oh, that's Xander. This is why you liked him. Oh, like, I don't know. He, oh, he's gallant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's gallant. So good. Um, I like that, again, like we talked about how he's a misogynist and like a monster and like a serial killer and whatever. But I love the foil aspect of it, that he's the one. We don't even see the scene with Willow, right? Like, he just right, walked right. in. He's like, has anyone thought to ask her what she wants? Like, yes. that's, <laughs> that's such a great skewering of the whole problem, right? Like, no one is at all interested in what she wants. And so I like that he cuts to the quick of the the whole problem, even though it's really fun. Like, we kind of blow over the fact that um, if this escalated, Xander and Buffy are about to come to blows, right? Like, yeah. that's what he right. interrupts. Yeah. Well- but also you have to look at the fact that Buffy did stab her, right? Knowing that it wouldn't kill her, she stabs her and then they wait for her right. to come to. So like yeah. there is a certain element of, you know, Buffy's there to kill her, but she's also just like straight up hurting her. Right. Right. Like if in if in Buffy's black and white world where Anya has to die, like just cut off her head then, right? Don't like yeah. keep right. continually stab her with a sword where you know it's not going to kill her, but it will hurt her a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. And I, Yes, yes, I agree. Um, I also like that Dahafren, um, what is, yeah, he, as he's like talking to them about like, you haven't asked Anya and like Anya's meek, like, I want to take it back. Like she says it so mm-hmm. quietly and so defeated. Ugh, Emma Caulfield is so good and I'm so glad she's in WandaVision. <laughs> yeah. We get the end. He, she takes it back. He has her repeat it. And then he goes for the kill of bringing in her best friend. Um, if I recall correctly, I think Kali Roja told us she cried when she watched that scene, didn't she, Anthony? <laughs> oh, I don't remember, but um, I think she. I remember her talking about being really upset because she liked playing Halfrek. Mm-hmm. It's quite a. It's a great way to go, right? Like she's yeah. staring at Anya with like love in her eyes. Like it really is. It's actually a better death than Anya gets, right? Like one hundred percent. It's very moving and very upsetting because it it's timed so perfectly that we figure out what's going to happen a second before it happens. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. And like, she's all smiles. She's just, like you said, Anthony, she's looking at, at Anya with love. Like, she's just like, Oh, my best friend's here. Cool. Like, 
Ugh, boy. And yeah, I mean, it's, and, and, and like I said before, I think it's really a look into De Hoffren's mind to be able to so quickly yeah. get rid of AK, well, to get rid of both your, your family and your worker, you know, like, I mean, right. if you think of him as the mob boss, it's maybe family and both. But then if you think of him as like the, 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 the head of the com- the CEO of the vengeance company, it's like, you're losing one of your best workers. Well, two really, because he yeah. loses Anya and loses Hallie. Um, and it is just so cold. Well, the nice thing about it is like, I mean, obviously he doesn't make, there's no, like we keep, obviously the show is inviting like capitalist, et cetera, comparisons, but like right. his business is misery, right? Like that's actually uh, what uh, he wants. That's a paramour. <laughs> I was just about to say. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> so, well, misery business is their, big, is the, their, their first thing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he would love it. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, no, and and it's just uh, actually don't cut out what I just said. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we get, uh, you know, Buffy's like, "I'll go check on." Buffy doesn't even offer anything up to Anya. Buffy's like, "We're done with this. I'm checking to make sure those like frat boys are good, and then I'm leaving." Xander walks out with Anya. I understand the ending. I just, I don't know. I wanted. I felt like Anya. And clearly I get that it's on purpose. I mean, you guys said she goes a different path than Xander. I just felt like I wanted her to get a break, right? And she doesn't mm-hmm. get one. Like, mm-hmm. this is very much her being like, I'm going on my own. But I'm just like, fuck. She just had such a miserable episode. And I just wish Anya got... I don't know. I don't know a different way to have ended this episode. But I do like their talk. I think they're both doing some great acting here. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, don't be a dope. And she says, I'm a dope. And I'm like, Ugh. well, I think her, you know, if we're talking about the steps kind of in the human condition and the, the last one being death, um, I do think that there is something really beautiful and philosophic when she says, what if I'm really nobody? Because isn't that the question that we all struggle with? Like, we all want to do things to not be nobody, right? Like, we want to write something that has our byline on it. We want to have a podcast that we host. Like we all do things so that we're, we can put our head down on our pillow and not feel like we're nobody. And so like when Anya loses her friend and her career and is human and doesn't have Xander, like her question is like, what if I'm nobody? And that is just like, I don't know, the human condition. (laughs) Am I nobody? I think there's something really audacious about, um, taking a character who is not at the center of your show and asking that question, right? Like there is something very risky as creators of something to be like, well, what if this character is underdefined? Um, and what's amazing about this episode and what I really like about it is when she says, what if I'm nobody? Um, by the time we're done this episode, we kind of have to agree with Xander that that's a silly question, right? Like, even though she has behaved in this pattern that sort of a tad, like you said, she's like tofu, where she'll she'll take on the flavor of whatever she's near. I think that's actually, I think Andrew uses that metaphor about mushrooms, right? At one point where he's like, <laughs> his evilness is a function of being a mushroom. But right. like by the end of this episode, we're like, but she's the most fascinating character because of it, right? Like, yeah. well, she and is the person on the board who because she doesn't know who she is oh totally and i mean the the fucked up thing about her in season seven is that the last really interesting thing that she asks is what if i'm nobody because then afterwards the writers are like well you're not going to be anybody for the rest of the season (laughs) you are going to be nobody (laughs) 
and you're just going to be sarcasm incarnate. I was going to say, I mean, she she does say it out loud later on right. in the season when she's like, I had much needed sarcasm, but like, yeah, that is kind of... But I will say, <laughs> actually, I, I will almost reverse what I said and say she is the person uh, in the... Uh, I always forget the name of the episode, the one right before Touched who says to Buffy, uh, you're not luckier than any of us. You're not, you're not better than any of us. You're just luckier than us. And I think yeah. that's one of the most ballsy things anyone has ever said <laughs> to Buffy in Buffy's entire <laughs> life. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, so we've come to the end. Um, before we give our rankings... Oh, wait, um, I just want to say gonna... one more thing on this episode. Oh, yeah. I think it is very sad that the great... <laughs> that the great kind of thing of this or like the uh the thing that this episode hinges on is bringing frat boys back to life i wish they had chosen <laughs> someone who deserved life more than frat boys. <laughs> it is making really neat like it is making sure like we never see them right like right yeah. we never what it, what it never risks is that we want to bring them back right like mm-hmm. <laughs> right it they're kind of a moral i mean again like drew goddard and the good place right like these sort of ethical considerations are a thing there's so many people who could have been the victims here and i do think it goes out of its way to be like actually they're just kind of shitheads right like yeah they tortured right. this girl and we have nothing we learn nothing redeeming about them when the hoffman looks in the other room he's like it's like someone <laughs> killed an abercrombie and fitch catalog right like there's nothing <laughs> redeeming about them i like that actually yeah yeah, I think I think that's probably on purpose because we don't even see their body. Like we don't even see no aside from always, like the man. It's like a stage yeah. play. Like they're always looking off stage at the body. <laughs> 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 but all right, so now that we've gotten to the end, and now Buffy season seven costume designer Matt Van Dyne with a breakdown of the outfits from Selfless. Well, hey everybody, hi, hi Ian. Hi, Matt. Glad to have you back. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Well, here's what I can tell you about Selfless. Yeah. Um, on this particular episode, I was involved with part of it, but not all of it. And the reason is I, <laughs> I was actually on an Alaskan cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and I had booked this cruise like, you know, several months before I took off or uh began working at Buffy, but I was there for some of the prep of it, not, okay. but not a lot of the shooting of it. So what I can tell you and stirring my memory from watching it is that most of the wardrobe for that particular episode, because <laughs> I guess, it, you know, looking at my notes going backwards, I guess it really was because I was out of town that we used a lot of the wardrobe that we had bought in stock for uh, to build closets. Excuse me, more than stock. Uh, it was to build closets when the show, the season began. Right. Uh, we started building everybody's closets. So we had extra clothes. And since I wasn't around to sign off on everything that was being purchased that week, we just went back to what we already had in our closets which was considerable. There were obviously, you know, lots of new, new items seen in that episode. But when I look at the purchases for that episode, that's why I went back to my, uh, my notes, my records. And I thought, well, there really aren't many purchases for episode five. And now I know why it's because that was the reason I was out of town. But I do (laughs) remember this about 
the um well the opening with the uh, the Olaf and the trolls yeah that that of course that was all um rentals a okay. lot of you know things from the rental houses and I do remember uh this will give me an opportunity to mention um one of our other costumers who would work uh as a swing person she would come in every so often if we were doing second unit or something else uh you know in the field but she was working that week and i remember she amassed all of those um rentals for that um that scene and her name is nadine reality and she was a tremendous help to us and she would come in uh, every so often on on different episodes, she didn't really want to have a full time gig at that time, so it worked out well for all of us. But I remember there was something when I came back from my trip, and I remember I guess she was sent out to to uh, to rent you know certain items, and she came back with like uh, something that she thought was like the item she was supposed to get, and what she came back with was this uh, like abundance of what they're called breast pads or breast plates okay <laughs> and i remember the big joke when i came back was they had a picture of her holding all of these and uh the caption above said i rented breast plates <laughs> <laughs> so so i remember that was very funny about that but as far as the purchases for that particular episode though what i did see was uh for um Halfrek. Uh, the the black uh, dress that was purchased for her, I saw the that that came from um, Bloomingdale's, and okay. it was it was made by Laundry, the the clothing line Laundry, and it okay. cost all of one hundred and eighty dollars. Okay, and then there was a green wrap dress, and I'm trying to rack my brain if that was in that episode. I I'm I'm not sure, but we also bought her a green wrap Dion von Furstenberg dress. Uh, which was a little more expensive it was around three hundred dollars but uh but most of the items for that show um what I looked at what was spent was uh building rather than building the uh the principal costumes we were buying things like uh uh undergear for okay. an intimate apparel and things like that for the girls and whatnot because uh when when you work on a show like this and when we were doing that episode and being outdoors and here and there and if it was you know getting late in the afternoon it gets chilly and we had to buy um uh principal uh for, for the principal players we would buy uh just stock coats for them to wear you know just to keep them warm okay. things like okay. that so but for that episode that's mostly what i remember about it and of course there is a lot of fashion in it as far as you know uh, a lot of changes for the, the characters and whatnot but um, i gotta ask you was anya the dress she wears when she's in um i like wonder the I know what you're going to ask me the print <laughs> the print i called it the house dress basically <laughs> I yes. don't see that in my record, so I believe that was rented. I believe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I do. Re oh, I do have a memory though of having to dig up the wedding dress. I remember that. Okay, so it was the same one. Yes. Yes. Okay. As, as I recall, that dress was in a box somewhere. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's what I recall about that. 
That's and interesting. I, and I do remember I had something to do with that. And as far as um, there was another, I had another note. Oh, the the um, the uh, Saint Petersburg scene. You know, with yeah. uh, uh, when I was looking up, this is what's funny. When I was looking up uh, the uh, you know the players, and there was the girl on the floor who couldn't breathe. I guess supposed to be dead. Mm-hmm. Her her name. She was in the yellow gown okay. and her her name is sophie laporte i i just read that oh, and right. she went on to work on uh the show battlestar galactica oh. which which is interesting it's just such a small world because terry dresback who was the costume designer prior to me on buffy mm-hmm. ended up marrying the producer Ron Moore of Battlestar Galactica. So, <laughs> so, so it's just like this little world. But I have, I do have in my collection, uh, just like a uh, set costume uh, shot, a continuity shot of her laying on the floor covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> I do have that, and I have another continuity shot of the of um, the two. Uh, uh, sitting at the table, Anya and the girl, okay. Halfrek. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I have I have a shot of that too. But uh, but I'm wondering in my notes, I saw something about me contacting Angels of London, which is a costume rental house, and I was contacting them, uh, emailing them a photo. Now I'm wondering, in hindsight, if I was matching something or trying to match something, and hmm. you know they. They something may have come from there, or maybe we rented something from there. I don't have the rental records, but that would tell me. But I have a feeling maybe we were renting some wardrobe from them, probably, and they would ship it to us. So, were were Anya and Halfrex dresses rentals as well? The like St. Yes. Petersburg's. Yes, yeah. yes, that's. And I'm wondering if they didn't come from there. They yeah. might have. They very well might have. Because that would take forever to build one of those kind of dresses, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that would be yeah, yeah and, and be way too probably expensive to do yeah. it. <clears throat> so, so I have a hunch they may have come from um, from London, actually. Hmm. <clears throat> so that's, they look great in them. So yeah, didn't they? I know the yeah. jewelry. That's yeah. Terry too. Terry did the jewelry. I'm sure okay. it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. yeah. It looks it looks great. <clears throat> they look great. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, Matt. Well, thank you for joining us, and I'll thank see you. you next time. Yes. Bye-bye. All right. And now we're going to rate our favorite outfits. Uh, Anthony, what was your favorite outfit? Is it cheating to pick the wedding dress? Because no. it's a, I mean, it is this kind of a special effect in and of itself, right? Like that, right. that reveal of it. It is a really beautiful 2002 garment um i like it i I think i think i pick the wedding dress or de hoffman's weird monk cloak because i really want one especially in quarantine (laughs) it's like a cardigan that is also a robe it looks great uh kirsten what is your favorite outfit i mean i'm genuinely into willow's red shirt brown skirt red tights (laughs) and i will always envy a, a calf high boot because i cannot wear them so why can't you wear a calf high boot because i'm four foot 11 and i have really muscular calves so yeah all right yeah it'd be like it'd be like if if an 11 year old boy had really muscular calves (laughs) i never know how to feel about jewelry outside the the like 
garment. Like she's got the necklace entirely outside. It's like a very chunky piece. Yeah, I'm not into the necklace. <laughs> Kirsten's like, I didn't mention the necklace for a reason. Yes. I left the necklace out. I have been known to wear very brightly colored tights that match my dresses until my then seven-year-old daughter was like, mom, what are you wearing? And I was like, well, I just want to look nice. And she's like, well, it's pretty weird. So then I stopped. Girls can use whatever weapon they want and they can wear whatever tights they want. <laughs> uh, Matthew, what's your favorite outfit? Um, you know, I'm going to go for a really dumb answer and say that it is like the little hoodie number that Anya is wearing when she fights Buffy. Because I always think about like, all the characters are kind of what are in what they were wearing that day. But it feels like Mm -hmm. Anya got dressed to go fight to the death with Buffy. And she was like, (laughs) I want to be comfortable. Yeah, it was a depression hoodie for sure. She has a lot of depression (laughs) garments in this episode. Like her confrontation with Willow in her apartment is also like loungewear, like very quarantine chic. Well, it's very, it's very COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, so, <laughs> Lord. So my favorite outfit, I, I got to go with Anya's Russian Revolution dress. I love oh, the blood oh, and yeah. white gloves. Yeah. And she looks yeah. great. Mm-hmm. I I made that action blood. figure. I made that action figure <laughs> for this cover because I'm unhinged. But my close second, again, twinsies with Kirsten, is that Willow outfit. I think it's ridiculous and I like it because it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite scene, Matthew? The I think that this episode only works because of the confrontation, conflict, fight scene, uh, mm-hmm. and that like that is the scene that makes or breaks this episode. Um, so I'm going to say that with a caveat that I'll be misses is one of my favorite Buffy moments of all time, but that this episode needs the conflict scene. So I'm going to say the fight. You mean the fight in the living room? Oh, I'm no, I, yeah, the fight in the living room, just the, between okay. Buffy, yeah. Xander and Willow. Um, Kirsten. Um, so not a specific scene, but I think my favorite part of this episode are the, are the cuts. So where yeah. you have Anya happy and then you have Anya impaled on the wall, you have, Anya happy, and then you have Anya washing blood off of her hands. Like, I feel like the the contrast that they were able to do with those cuts were so jarring and so well done that I think, like, the cutscenes as a whole probably were my favorite part of the episode. They're so effective. All right, cool. Um, Anthony? Yeah, I um, I mean, I don't know if it's cheating, but I feel the same way. It's like, it, it really is such a beautiful little piece. Like, it really is. I really admire the way this thing is put together. Like, every scene... As I said, it's sort of overexpending energy in every scene. Like every scene turns in a way that's completely unexpected. Um, so it is hard for me to pick a favorite. I do think the I'll be Mrs. moment, only because it is the emotional climax, might be my favorite. Um, okay. That's that's, but not even that song. It's the smash cut, right? Like from it, an I'll be that is never completed. It really is beautiful. Um, yeah. So I guess that's my favorite. But they're all. It really is like. This episode has so many of my favorite Buffy scenes in it in one little box. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, I feel the same way Matthew does like the, that summer's fight scene. Like for me, that's like the, 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 like you can't have the episode without that scene, but I love all of the flashbacks too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I feel weird saying in the Anya episode where like Emma Caulfield's doing great work and Anya's written so well that like my favorite scene is the, like one of the few scenes without her. 
But mm-hmm. I think it is that scene with their fight because it's just so important and has been a long time coming. And we see Buffy in the wrong being kind of like stern general, which we will see, you know, for the rest of the season. Yeah. So uh, grade Kirsten, what grade did you do this episode? I mean, uh, it's so hard because a lot of this episode makes me really angry, right? Like I don't like Buffy in this episode. I don't like her choices. I don't agree with them narratively. Um, but at the same time, I ha- I do have really strong feelings about this episode. And I, it doesn't make me angry because it's bad. Right. It makes me angry because it's good. And and obviously, like, I love Anya. She's my favorite side character. Um, so, yeah, I give it an A. I think it's one of the best episodes of Buffy. Uh, Anthony? Yeah. Um, it is weird because, it to me, it is not... A lot of the pieces aren't really Buffy episodes. Like... Even tonally, I don't know. It is really an Ani episode in a way that it doesn't fit into the mythology in any way, but um, it really is an A plus for me. Like it really is one of my favorite. I feel like every time I watch this episode, I feel like I'm opening like a box of chocolates and like every scene is going to be different and every scene is so interesting. Um, And it's just like such a breath of fresh air in this season. Uh, A plus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Matthew. Yeah, this is A-plus Buffy for me. I do agree with uh, Anthony in that. In, in a way, it's an aberration from other Buffy episodes. But it is really tight, well-done storytelling and a kind of um, a character study that the show is not has not has not done. There's no other really characters who get their own episodes. Tara gets family, but that is not a Tara episode as much as this is an Anya episode. Um, and so it reminds me of the Zeppo in some ways, yeah. the way that, yeah. the way that that change also like is not really a Buffy episode, right? Like it's as though the character shapes the tone of the episode. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's nice to see. And I think that what I love about this episode is that so many of the big questions that Buffy wrestles with are kind of all there. So if you wanted to mm-hmm. know what the themes of Buffy were, even though this is different from all other Buffy episodes, I do think they're all here because Buffy does talk about what it means to be a slayer and Buffy does act alone. And so there's a lot of the sense of, and I mean, this is all about Anya's humanity. So I think that a lot of the main theses of the show are kind of oddly hanging out in this little episode five of season seven and getting either brought up or answered or quandried in, in interesting ways that, um, you know, don't happen just one episode later in him, which is such a throwaway piece of shit episode. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> I do too. I do not like him. So I'm always like so fascinated that this episode is just so good so early on. And, and so I, A plus. All right. And I, I give it, I give it an A plus as well. I think it does all of the right things. It makes us feel things. It makes us mad at characters we love. Uh, yeah, I think A plus. Um, thank you all for joining us. Matthew, it was so nice to have you back. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you like Sirefest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and other places you get your podcasts. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at SlayerFestX98. You can subscribe to our Patreon, which helps keep the podcast going. You get access to mini episodes and our Facebook group. And if you want to follow me on social, I am at IanXCarlos. Matthew, where can everyone find you? Um, They can find me on Twitter at Matthew Rodriguez. That's Matthew with one T and Rodriguez with a G and a Z. And Kirsten, where can everyone find you? 
Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Kirsten White. I'm also on the shelves of your local bookstore with my Buffyverse um, spinoff books, Slayer and Chosen. And Anthony? Uh, I am Mia Koopa on Twitter, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. All right, guys, we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.